Turn your Bibles to the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John, the third chapter, John chapter 3, a sermon entitled, Be There. James Dobson tells about his experience with Pistol Pete Maravich. Some would say that Pistol Pete is among the top 10 players in all of NBA history. Some would even argue that he, if you pick the top five players ever in the NBA, that you would have to list Pistol Pete Maravich. He was Showtime before Magic knew what Showtime was. He was an incredible basketball player, even all the way back in the eighth grade. When he was a freshman at Louisiana State University and they had a varsity team and a, and a junior varsity team, he packed out the gymnasium. Everybody came to see him play and then they left after the junior varsity because the varsity wasn't nearly as exciting as it was watching this freshman. He set, are you ready, 43 NCAA records, 43. He still holds the highest average scoring record per game in college basketball. He averaged 44 points per game. His father was a coach when he was just a toddler, and even as a preschooler, he could spin the ball on his finger and dribble it behind his back. He was the first $1 million player in the NBA, did well in the NBA, earned a lot of money, and then he was elected in the NBA Hall of Fame the very first year that he was eligible. He had it all, but he was a very frustrated man. He was rebellious. He had a drinking problem. He was legendary bad news. He hated life and all of his money and all of his success was not enough. His life began to unravel. He injured his knee, dropped out of the NBA, went home, shut the door, and stayed behind that door practically for two years. He was famous. He was big time. And he didn't want anybody to see him as a recluse with an injury. But someone, someone introduced Pistol Pete to Jesus Christ. And it was like taking a match and putting it to gasoline. Pete Maravich took all the energy that he had put into basketball and he poured it into telling others about the good news of Christ Jesus. You could not be with him for more than five minutes. At some point, he would tell you how his relationship with Christ had completely turned his life around. And of course, the press that reported his downfall never came back and reported uh, his hope in Christ. Dobson invited him out to focus on the family. He had written a book the basketball player had, and Dobson was bold enough to ask him, would you come and play some pickup basketball with me and some of the guys that focus on the family? He asked Pistol Pete Maravich to play basketball with him. The morning before the interview broadcast, they went out to play some pickup ball. He told Dobson that he had not played but one game in the last year. He was in so much physical pain. The only game he played in that whole year was the NBA Legends game. But Maravich decided for whatever reason to go out and give it a try for the fellowship. 
he came to the gym and he played about third speed, just taking it easy because of his health. And well, they played for about 45 minutes and everybody stopped and everybody else went to get water. But Dobson and Maravich began to have a conversation. You can't give this game up, Pete. You love it too much. Well, I have had a good time today. He said, you know, I've had such shoulder pain. They really don't know what it is. And, and I haven't really played hardly at all. But maybe I can get started again. Maybe I can play pickup basketball. How you been feeling? Well, I haven't been feeling well, but today I feel, today I feel really great. Well, Dobson turned to leave and walk away. And for some reason, he felt compelled to turn. About that time, he saw Pistol Pete Maravich hit face first on the floor of the gym. He ran over there, thought at first he might be playing, but realized that he wasn't. He turned him over. He was having a 20-second seizure. He held his tongue so he could breathe, and he tried to do CPR, and Pete Maravich moved his shoulder one time. That was the only thing that he moved, and he died. They took him to the hospital. For 45 minutes, they tried to revive him. They never got another breath. They never got another, another heartbeat, and he was wearing his T-shirt that said, Looking to Jesus. Come to find out that Pete had a congenital heart defect. Only one major artery wrapping around his heart. Most of us have two. His heart had enlarged over the years so he could do magnificent athletic things. But given that congenital heart defect, he was pretty much destined at life at some point right about then to drop dead. Dobson says, I have no idea why the Lord put him with me. When it happened, the press came from everywhere, and Dobson had the opportunity to share Pistol Pete Maravich's faith, his purpose in life. He said, you thought his purpose in life was basketball, but his purpose in life was his relationship with Christ Jesus. He gave his testimony to the whole world. In fact, Pistol Pete's cousin heard it all the way in Guatemala within 30 minutes, and Dobson had to call Maravich's wife and two precious little boys and give them the news. James Dobson was so shaken by holding an NBA legendary player in his arms at the moment of his death. He went home and said to his own son, Ryan, I got something to say to you. I want you to understand that what happened to Pete Maravich was not an isolated tragedy for one man and his family. This is the human condition. It is appointed to a man once to die. It happened to Pete unexpectedly, but it's going to happen to us all. And someday, somewhere, you'll get that phone call. And you'll get the news that I'm gone. It's possible we'll never have another conversation. It's possible what I'm saying to you right now will be the last word that I ever say about this. So I want you to listen, and I don't want you to forget it. When that moment comes for me, and you hear the message that I've gone to heaven, the only thing I want you to remember is to be there. Be there on the other side. On that good morning, be there. 
Oh, I care about your life, that you use the talents and gifts God's given you. I hope you set goals. I hope you accomplish those goals. But none of that is important. It's what I'm saying to you right now. I'll be looking for you. I'll search across that holy city, and nothing else is going to matter. Live your life in such a way that you won't disappoint me on that day. Be there. Everything else in life pales in comparison. Be there, Ryan. Be there. And bring as many people as you can with you. If you do that, you'll have had a successful life. You know the story in, in John 3. Nicodemus is a religious leader. Look at verse 2. The man came to Jesus by night. Nicodemus had been trained in the best Jewish education available in his day. He was a member even of the Jewish high court. He was supposed to know how to be there. He was supposed to lead others to get there. But deep down, he doubted Deep down, he doubted that his keeping of the Jewish law was enough to bring him into the kingdom of God. His whole confidence was shattered by the authoritative teaching of this new rabbi, the name of Jesus. He had never seen Jesus show up in Jerusalem. You, Jesus didn't sit down at the feet of all the great professors like Nicodemus had, all the great teachers. In fact, some had even told Nicodemus that Jesus was nothing more than a son of a carpenter from Nazareth. He newly arrived on the scene. At first, Nicodemus, in his mind, tried to discount this message about this new rabbi. At first, he made fun of those who were following Jesus. But in the end, Nicodemus knew a religious authority when he saw one. Look at verse 2. Rabbi, we know that you've come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Nicodemus had no other way to explain the power and the command and the word in the hands of Jesus. He said, for God had sent him. And Nicodemus had secretly wondered, finally he had the courage, or at least enough courage, to sneak out in the dark to ask, going through the back door to Jesus, so to speak. It's odd. Nicodemus never really gets his question out of his mouth. Jesus, with his perception, his spiritual insight, knows exactly what's on Nicodemus' mind. And notice the response of Jesus in verse 3. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. Jesus knew what Nicodemus was thinking. The first thing Jesus says is there's only one way to be there. There's only one way to be there. Look at verse 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Jesus referring to his crucifixion. That whoever believes in him will have eternal life. The first thing that Jesus says is religious authority, this member of the Jewish high court, is there's only one way to be there. Nicodemus, you yourself must be born again. You must be born from above. You're born of water physically. You're born of the Spirit from above. You must be born physically and spiritually. Nicodemus, you must be born again. We would like to think in our own minds that there are many roads 
many religious ideas and many religious teachers and philosophies and theologies that can lead us to the kingdom of God, but that's not what Jesus says. The idea that one must certainly just be spiritual, pick something, some God, some religion, some faith, and just follow it to the best of your ability, and it'll all lead to the same God in the end is not what Jesus taught. And those of us who continue to say with our Savior here in John 3, you must be born again. What we're going to be seen is naive and self-centered and the whole world's teaching a wagon wheel theology where God's in the center and you pick the spoke that you want, whether it's Islam or, or whether it's a new age movement or whether it's Christianity, you pick any spoke and you travel, we'll all end up at the same place anywhere, any, anyway. The problem is, Theologically and philosophically, Christianity is by its very nature absolutely exclusive in its claims. Jesus is not a Messiah. He is the Messiah, the only Messiah. There's no room in the teachings of Christ for any other thought. In fact, Jesus says when they tell him they don't know the way, Jesus says in this same gospel in John 14, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And there is no other way to the Father but through me. I am the way, the only way. I am the truth, the only truth. I am life. There is no other way to God but through me. Jesus did not claim to be one prophet among many prophets, but rather Jesus is absolutely clear. He says, I and my Father are one. He claims to be God himself and the flesh. Nicodemus, you must be born again. There are a myriad of other approaches, and Nicodemus was trying to obey the Jewish law to get there. The Pharisees had all sorts of rules that one had to follow, and I'm sure that Nicodemus, as a Pharisee, was good at keeping them all. On the Sabbath, if you spit on the soil and move some dirt, it was like plowing. And ladies don't see your reflection because if you pluck a gray hair, then you're working on the Sabbath. And if your house is burning, you can't even go back and get another set of clothes. You can only run out on the Sabbath with the clothes on your back. And beware of, of eggs that are laid on the Sabbath because the hen was at work. All sorts of rules and regulation. Some of us here this morning, we struggle to earn our way into heaven. We feel like we need to do something in addition to our faith in Jesus Christ. Nicodemus was working so hard, he was making sure in every way, at every moment, he was keeping the Jewish law. We work, we struggle, and we conclude, as Nicodemus had concluded, we cannot do enough to enter the kingdom of God. At the end, our works will not get us there. Paul says in Romans 4, to the man who does not work, but who trusts God, the God who justifies the wicked, his faith makes him right in right standing with God. To the man who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith makes him right standing with God. Blessed are those whose sins are forgiven. You can't do enough. You can't be good enough. When you and I stand before God holding our works we've done for his kingdom, we will stand ashamed. Who by his own merit can claim a, a place in the kingdom of a holy God? It'd be like a, a baby banging on a piano and saying to Beethoven, let me show you how to play. It'd be like a child taking out the Christmas watercolors and telling Rembrandt, let me show you how to paint. 
It would be like a toddler who had a Nerf football looking up at Emmett Smith and say, let me show you how to move the football. Our works are not good enough. We cannot bring our work to the feet of the one who blasts his breath and creates the wind, the one who shapes the mountains, or the one who wades in the deepest ocean like a child's kiddie pool. We cannot stand before him and say, look at me and look at what I have done. There are times in our lives when we all feel inadequate, but none of us can stand before God based on our own abilities. You will not be there if you're trying to work your way there. Sometimes we try to get into heaven based upon how we feel. We want to feel heavenly. And so in some churches, worship's become a pep rally, a feel-good moment. And if people leave feeling good, better than they did when they entered in, then because of the, the emotional high they received in worship, then they feel like they will make it to heaven. The reality is when you leave the building, the emotions and the feelings wax and wane. We're trying to give you here at First Baptist Church a, a steady diet of the teachings of Jesus and the pinning of the apostles of our Christ. We present to you the truth, the theological truth of the gospel. We cannot be good enough to get in the kingdom of heaven. We cannot feel emotionally high enough to get in the kingdom of heaven. Our presence in God's kingdom is not based upon what we do or how we feel. It is based upon the objective reality that God was at work in the rabbi Jesus and that God was especially at work somehow in his crucifixion like Moses lifted up the serpent, that he was lifted up and those who looked to him, those who looked at the cross as the payment of their sins, those who die with him as our baptism testifies also will rise with him. Your salvation and my salvation is not based upon what you do or how you feel. It is based upon who Jesus is and what he's already accomplished on the cross. And the second thing Jesus says to Nicodemus, <clears throat> not everybody will be there. We have all hoped in some way and somehow and someday that at the end, God's going to say, everybody is in. But God is holy and God is righteous and by his very nature, God in his wrath must lash out against sinful humanity. Look at verse 18 and 19 of this chapter. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is a judgment. As light has come to the world, men loved outer darkness rather than light, for their deeds were evil. Jesus makes it very plain to Nicodemus. There's only one way to be there. You must be born from above. You must believe. And Nicodemus, not everybody will be there. It's a basic theological tenet of the New Testament that not everyone will be in the kingdom of God. Jesus says in Matthew 24, there will be two men in the field and one will be taken and one will be left. There'll be two women grinding in the mill and one will be taken and, and one will be left. In fact, Jesus himself says in this same gospel in John chapter 7, unless you believe I am the Messiah, you will die in your sins. Unless you believe that I am the Messiah, you will die in your sins. Jesus constantly throughout his ministry brought division. He separates the sheep from the goats and those that believe from those who refuse to believe. 
everyone will not be there. It is those who proclaim Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, those who go to the cross and say, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. I want him to be Lord of my life. I want to die with him, that I can rise with him to the kingdom of God. Here's a third thing. The Father wants you to be there. The Father wants you to be there. James Dobson was so startled by the death of Pete Maravich that he went home and spoke to his son Ryan with that message, you be there. See, as a father, he wanted his son to be a partaker of the grace of God. He wanted his son to know the same God that he worshiped. He wanted him to be there at the table of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He wanted him to have a seat at the banquet. He didn't want his son to be left out. And so it is with our heavenly father. In fact, if there's any image that's most potent in Scripture about God the Father, He's a Father, and we're all the prodigal sons and daughters, and we've run our own way into our own sin and ruined our own lives. And every morning He gets up and He looks over the horizon. He looks for the silhouette of His son, the silhouette of His daughter coming home. When He sees us turning to repent to Him, He runs and He embraces us. He puts on the robe and the shoes and the ring, and He says, You are my child. God wants you to be there. But God has done all that God can do. God is holy and righteous, and he must lash out against sin by his nature. He cannot tolerate. His presence cannot be around it. But instead of punishing us, he sent his own son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have forever, forever life. God has given you the greatest gift that anyone has ever given you. He's made it available to you. And this morning, whether you're in this room or watching by live stream or TV, you're hearing the preaching, the gospel, this is your message and your opportunity. The Father wants you to be there. He longs for you to be there. He sent Jesus Christ to die in your place so you can be there. Here's the scary thing, congregation. We have the right to say no to God. We are free will agents. We're not robots. We're not forced into belief, but rather we can say yes or we can say no to God. The rich young ruler comes up and says to Jesus, what do I have to do to be in the kingdom of God? And, and Jesus tells him what he has to do, and he walks away sad. He says no to the invitation of salvation. You can say no to the very one who created you. You can reject his love and his message. In his book, Written in Blood, Robert Coleman tells a story about a little boy and his sister. Sister needed a blood transfusion. The doctor explained the little boy in the family had just gone through the same disease and he had overcome it and they were the same rare blood type and he would be the perfect donor for the blood transfusion. And so the doctor looked to the, to the younger brother and said, will you give your sister uh, your blood? And he says, he sort of trembled and said, yes, 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 I will. For my sister, I will. They wheeled them in for the blood transfusion and she's pale and weak and he's robust and smiling and then they put the little needle in his arm and his smile goes away. And about the time they're finishing up the procedure, he looked at the doctor and says, now when do I die? He thought the transfusion meant he was giving his blood to his sister. 
and giving life to her, and he would die. The doctor only then realized why the boy had hesitated and his chin had quivered when he was asked to give his sister his blood. The boy didn't have to die, but Jesus did. He had to die dead. Through the power of the Holy Spirit of God, be raised again on the third day. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him, he loved the whole world, died for everybody, that whoever, whoever means you, whoever means me, whoever believes in him, no death, but eternal life. I want you to turn very quickly to John 19. How does this story end? We have to infer from this. Jesus dies on the cross. His body cannot stay on the cross on the holy day. So the Jews want it removed from the cross. Look at verse 38 of John 19. And after these things, Joseph of Arimathea being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one, for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take the body of Jesus. And Pilate granted commission, permission. And he came, therefore, and took away his body. I think John's giving you a hint right here. And Nicodemus came also. Is this the same Nicodemus? Yes, it is, the one who came to him by night. Nicodemus brought the, the myrrh and the aloes about a hundred pounds of weight so he could anoint the body of Jesus. And they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen wrappings with spices, as was the burial custom of the Jews. At the very end of the story, when all the disciples have left him and fled, it was the one who would only come by night in secret, who publicly goes and helps take the body of Jesus down from the cross and anoints his body and prepares it for burial. Nicodemus, you must be born again. I think Nicodemus said yes, for he had the courage to be there with the body of his Lord when everyone else left him and fled. Maybe you're here this morning and you've heard the gospel a hundred times. Maybe the Spirit's dealing with you even now, and this is your day to say, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. I can tell you there is only one way. I wish I could give you different news, but I can only tell you what Jesus says. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. Those are his words, not mine. God has done all he can do for you. He sent his son to die and had a glorious resurrection, and we die with him, we rise with him. And maybe you're here this morning, you need to say, this is my day. No more doubts, no more fears. I'm not going to trust on anything else other than what God accomplished for me on Calvary through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Would you pray with me? If you're here this morning or you're watching by way of television, you need to invite Jesus Christ into your life. Would you... Pray this simple prayer with me this morning. Say to yourself, dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I believe in Jesus as the Messiah right now. 
I believe that he died for my sins, that I could be free. I believe that he rose from the dead, fulfilling the prophets. And this very moment, I count myself among those born again. In Jesus' name.